Welcome back to Too Much Time on Our Hands podcast. Uh, you'd have listened to part one earlier this week. Uh, new decision to split it into three. We are learning on the fly here uh, as we go way, way over the time limits that I think we originally set for ourselves to do this. So uh, this is part two, uh, which will lead in with topic two. If you listen to part one, you'll realise that we are splitting it into three topics. Each of us comes up with their own topic and we talk about it. So I'm going to hand you over to Tom for topic two. Topic two is a subject quite dear to my heart. Being a fan as I am of the uh, original Alien films, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll call it the original trilogy: Aliens One, Two, uh, sorry, the Alien films One, Two, and Three. Um, but this one is mainly dealing with Prometheus, the film that uh, has been described by many as a disappointing Alien prequel, and I think calling it that is a massive disservice. And I would really like to open this discussion up to uh, to every, to us all on this podcast to talk about Prometheus as a film. Um, I look at it as a disappointing alien prequel, because that was how it seemed to be billed by all of the movie press at the time, but one that rose uh, a lot of interesting philosophical questions. And actually, I think, was a, a really underrated film in general because of what it dealt with I think what it meant to people who were fans of the alien films, uh, fans of the alien species as it, as it is, and also fans of all of the lore and everything that goes on behind the scenes with the, the mysterious derelict from the, from the first film and the mysterious pilot. Um, and Prometheus, I think, tries to do a lot to answer questions that people have had for a long time while also raising an awful lot of them. Um, I would probably sort of say, first of all, that the biggest mistake that was made, I think, by the film press was something I just touched on, which was billing it as an alien prequel, because it is so much more than that, I think. It was, mm. it was an attempt by Ridley Scott, I think, to, um, to set a new line in the sand for, um, for the story and for, um, answering some of the fanboy questions and maybe giving the fanboys a little bit of a tease. Mm. But at the same time, giving them enough questions that it could potentially set up a new uh, sort of line of films that would begin to answer more questions about a specific element of the uh, alien films. Um, if I if I wanted to start the conversation anywhere, I think the the most compelling part of Prometheus for me is the character of David. Uh, he is he's probably one of the the most well, to be honest, there's this there's this fantastic animation that I saw, which um, was entitled David in Prometheus, and just showed uh, all the other f- uh, um, characters in the film just staring at him while he touches everything at random, <laughs> uh, just just touching everything and 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 you know appearing almost completely unapologetic for every all of the chaos that he seems to cause throughout the film. Mm. But he is interesting in the sense that actually you realise by the end of the film that not only has he been completely servile to um, the incarcerated uh, Wayland, who is um, he's uh, in cryogenic freezing, hidden in, on Prometheus, and has kind of been um, kind of been using David as his proxy throughout the film to to do things without the rest of the character's knowledge, but also at the same time. He's really interesting because he clearly has his own agenda. He's clearly interested in things he, on his own level. He's more than um, most of the crew of Prometheus give him credit for because they see him as an appliance. Mm-hmm. Mm. But he, we as the audience get to see, you know, the window into his kind of soul. Where we see that he has a true kind of, in, you know. Uh, sentience is the way, is that the right uh, yeah. phrase yet and it's not just AI it, it, you know he, he really has his own personality and it's, it's throughout the film it kind of shows him with the personality of a curious child obviously like a genius prodigy child because he kind of knows everything but yeah. he just has this fantastic kind of curiosity where he when they land on LV223 and they find obscure panels and things. He just starts tapping away. 
They don't tell him to do it. They don't ask him to do it. In fact, they don't really want him to do it. He just starts tapping away just to yeah. see what happens. He just wants to see what happens because he's curious. And I, I really love that aspect of his character. And, it, and the way at the start, the way the film, um, earlier on the film, shows him while everyone else is asleep and obviously he's kind of taking care of the crew. He's uh, watching films and he's um, he even looks into kind of memory banks and things, doesn't he? He watches their dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just fascinating because... And Laurence Olivier films. Yeah, exactly. The trick, William Potter. <laughs> Eston, <laughs> mind the dead <laughs> But it's brilliant because he's trying to... Yeah. What, what do you think he's trying to sort of do there? He's like, I, I, well, like, like I said, I think at the same time as he is fully aware that he's programmed to follow Wayland's orders mm. and to progress the expedition to LB223 in a very specific direction which is Wayland's desire for extension of his own life and and meeting mm-hmm. his creators to find a cure for the disease and old age that is obviously nearly killing him. Yeah. He is also very much, like you say, the curious child part actually almost begins to take over. And it's almost like that moment where he says that thing to the engineer that they wake up that prompts the engineer to kill Wayland and to rip mm-hmm. his head off. You almost think... He yeah, hasn't we actually, don't know it. There's no subtitles. He that hasn't bit actually so. said to that engineer what Wayland's asked yeah. him to say. He's said what he wants to say. Mm. You know, this is an android who, like you said from the very beginning, has... Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, a, uh, there's an animation running in the background at the moment, and I looked over just at the same time to see the engineer uh, sitting uh, behind the desk of the Oval Office. Was yeah, it? Is, 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 it a, is it a courtroom? Is, yeah, is it, I was in a courtroom. I've, just... put, I've put on a video, uh, Prometheus, awful or awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I do. I think he has his own agenda. This is an android who we see at the beginning emulating a character he's seen on film by mm. dyeing his own synthetic hair a certain colour and combing it in a certain way. To look a certain way and pronouncing and, his enunciation to sound like his enunciation to sound. This is something. Yeah. This is someone who's emulating. Yeah, he's found like a, almost like a hero. In, in. Exactly, <laughs> and you know, there's there's a one of the pictures we've just seen pop up is that moment where David has a blob of the black liquid on his fingertip and says yeah. the immortal. You know, what I think is an immortal phrase. You know, big things have small beginnings. Yeah, he does that not because it will further anything that Wayland wants him to do. He just no. he's like right. Well, we've got this black liquid on the ship. I'm going to plop it in one of the crew members' glasses of drink, and see what it's happens to him. One of my favourite scene. Well, it's, it is my favourite scene in in the whole <coughs> film. Is that um, and I've written, I've noted down in my notebook the exact quote. I think you're about to go say. for it. Then you, I, I will not butcher it by trying to paraphrase it. So they have a conversation over this a is pool table. Holloway, who is the main yeah. dude in the film, kind yeah. of boring. Actor, but yeah, is, um, is this the not Tom Hardy role? Yeah, this is this is Charlie. I'm not Tom Hardy now, Holloway. Yeah. To give a bit of context, his character is he's as I say, kind of a, this boring asshole who is the lover to the main female uh, protagonist in the film, which is um, Shaw. Her name's Shaw, and she's mm-hmm. really the one with the personal quest on this mission. She's kind of shown to be a Christian um, and she's fascinated at the idea of going to meet her maker and this is really kind of her mission and he almost gets dragged along a little bit or he's at least less uh, personally invested would you say that's kind of true? Yeah, he he believes that he's going to meet well, I, I mean, from my point of view I think he believes he's going to meet an alien species Yeah, that either created Earth or, in his mind, had mm. something to do with us as, as, a, as a species. I don't think he ever anticipated that once they got there, they would find that not only did these people create them, but they created uh, create us, but created us from themselves. He's kind of arrogant. Yeah. In this, this particular um, position. He, and it shows almost like a human arrogance. It's not specific to him. Yeah. It, and they're having this discussion over this pool table, and David says to him... Why did your people make me? David being an android. And Charlie Holloway, and I wrote this down word for word. Charlie Holloway says, we made you because we could. And David Eight replies, can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? <laughs> <clears throat> and it's, 
It's absolutely my favourite quote from the whole film. Yeah, and then he goes on to say, it's a good job you can't be disappointed then. Yeah. A complete shutdown, just... He, he he's, he's kind of... He's so blind to the... Um, uh, the fact that he is to the engineers what David is to him, and he can't see it in the reverse. Yeah. He looks down on David. He sees him just as a machine. We created you. You're nothing. But he can't see why his creators would think the same of him. He thinks he's going to get, you know, this warm welcome, mm. and he, he thinks he deserves this. He deserves answers from his creators. He deserves love from his creators. But yeah. in, he, and, but he can't show it the other way. It's funny you say a warm embrace, because I wrote mm. down another one that uh, Elizabeth Shaw says um, towards the beginning of the film when they first uncover that first cave. She says, I think they want us to come and find them. And I put underneath that um, presumptuous much question (laughs) mark. And and that's the point, isn't it? Mm. I think think it is, is that maybe at one point, you know, when the cave paintings are being being done by these these cultures that are, you know... um, Holding the engineers up as their mm. sort of god beings. Yeah, this is basically how the how the film starts. Is that it shows um, somewhere I think it's the Isle of Skye or somewhere, isn't it? Mm. Someone finding cave painting, and it is a constellation. And effectively, that's the whole re- basis for them going on this mission. Is they 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 kind of figure that this um, constellation is uh, an invitation, like you're saying, mm. from the gods. Um, so it's almost yeah. like humanity homecoming or something. But even at that point, maybe, maybe it's the engineers saying to humanity that it's that they're being the harbingers of doom, saying mm. that's where we're going to come from. It could be. It could be. It could you know. be. Well, from what I've heard, there's there's more to the film than actually made it into the film. Mm. Ridley Scott kind of. I want to go kind of go back actually to to say right the the film opens if we actually go through the film because mm. there's so much to it the the film opens with an engineer um which are basically like they're not like the engineers in the alien film or they are but we only see their kind of uh, or like a suit basically don't bio we? Suits. a bio suit yeah <clears throat> I mean, they're kind of like seven foot tall bald humans. And uh, we see an engineer on a planet. The planet is lifeless, but it has water and, you know, it's a big kind of rocky vista. And this engineer comes in cloaked and he kind of derobes and he has this um, cup full of black liquid. And he drinks the black liquid and disintegrates and falls into the ocean and just completely um, separates out. And we see... um, all this black stuff and then it kind of cuts, cuts those shots of um, DNA strands being formed and the idea is that these engineers are space kind of gardeners they go out to planets where there is no life and they give life now this is obviously kind of where the name Prometheus uh, comes in because in Greek mythology Prometheus was the god who created mankind he formed mankind out of clay and so the whole theme around Prometheus is one of uh, creation and of meeting your makers, um, and also of kind of self-sacrifice and all kinds of things. And the idea is that these space gardeners are people, you know. Uh, sorry, this this engineer he self-sacrifices himself. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. difficult to say. <laughs> self-sacrifices himself yeah. to. Um, <laughs> To create life on this planet. And it's not explicitly said that it's Earth, but it, it's presumed that, you know, Earth was one of these planets that was formed this way, with an engineer coming down and spawning life. Now, is it because, like Holloway says, because they could, or did they have bigger intentions, or what do you think about that? Maybe they did have a purpose, and they did kind of want to look out for life. Now... Ridley Scott, in interviews, has said there's a deleted scene where... Because apparently what we do know is that when the um, the the ship... and LV-2223 is, is this a moon, right? Where there's all these vials of black liquid and they're... It's basically like a, almost like a factory planet or a, a military planet. 
because what they're doing is they're storing these black vials, and they these are supposed to be like weapons of mass destruction, yeah. like, effectively. Yeah. That are going to then be sent off. Yeah. And uh, they find out in the film, don't they, that it's it's, it's a military installation. Yeah. To go to Earth, though, specifically, mm. is that they, say they were? The, yeah, it does because um, David finds the Starman, and the target that the last thing that appears <laughs> is a uh, is a picture of the Earth. Mm. Um, there is a, there is a thing that I saw where. Ridley, I think it was Ridley Scott was saying that the engineers, up until the point where they decide to launch the bombers from LB two two three, are relatively happy with humanity. Yeah, but that one of their kind is this is what I was getting to. Yeah, one yeah. of their kind, um, as they have been throughout human history, um, is seen as a prophet, and this particular prophet that his this particular one we see now is Jesus mm. and Jesus the engineer mm. whatever it is um, gets crucified and mm. that's the point where the um, engineers decide well that's it enough is enough humanity. this is getting out of hand yeah they've they've killed one of us we're, we're their masters we're yeah. their creators that, that's it we're, we're, they're, they're a failed experiment we're going to uh, carpet bomb their planet with mm. the black liquid and because of what's happened with the black liquid before we know that they'll just probably break down, disappear into the water, and then new life will rise, and we'll see what that's like. Is what I imagine it's okay. going to be like. Um, so that's that's the bit that I always that kind of stuck in my mind. So obviously, what happens is they were just about to launch their attack on Earth, hmm. and, and about to basically do a, a Noah's Ark. Well, not a Noah's Ark. You know what I mean? The the, yeah. the rapture, yeah, whatever. Yeah, they, yeah. They, exactly. The forty days and forty nights yeah. of, of flood. You know yeah. they, that they they were going to do that, and they lost control of their of their, their liquid. Some got infected with it, and that's it. The last one that you see, we eventually meet at the end, mm. who's been in cryostasis ever since that happened, has been there because there is no one else to mm. wake him up. So it's the Prometheus crew mm. who wakes him up and. And this start, is, you know, the... this is the whole the thing that I love about this <laughs> film is that it's just it raises really interesting, deep philosophical questions. Because I mean, so often people are um, so preoccupied by this idea of, um, you know, is there a god or mm. isn't there a god? Uh, as if it's like a black and white thing. <laughs> and this film asks. Okay, what if there is a god, inverted commas, mm. but it doesn't like you? <laughs> it doesn't want anything to do with yeah. you. In fact, it tried to kill you. It just met, it failed. Yeah. And it's just a thing that I think, like, human beings, it's just, it's like an uncomfortable question to, to ask someone <laughs> or to kind of put to someone. And that's why, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for someone for kind of raising that that kind of point. I mean, it's just, I, I can't think of any, any other time where that... That um, that point's kind of been put forward exactly because I think I think as a film Prometheus could have quite happily mm. sat back and gone, do you know what I'm just going to be a new story mm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna show them the scenes of the dreadnought ship that they'll recognise from Alien, mm. you know I'm going to show them all the little fanboy pleasing things that they want to see and that's it. And do you know what potentially people would have been a lot happier. I think it's because of all the philosophical questions that it immediately became a binary thing. You either like it because it did that, or you hate it because it did that. I think. But so. there are things about Prometheus that I don't like. Oh, of course. There are yeah, a of lot course. of things yeah, I don't like film. about it. There's no doubt. I mean, <laughs> sort of the good things are amazing visuals. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it looks amazing. The, the set design, the CG already holds up. Rooney Mara. The suit. Lover. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, Lover. Oh, Numi Rapaz. Oh, Numi Rapaz. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? Oh, I'm thinking of the actress who played um, Elizabeth Sander. From the American. From the American yeah. version of the, yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> Spoiler warning, Tom's a cretin. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I think the the film's well-paced. Um, it's got some strong characters, some not-so-strong characters. Mm, yeah. Um, the, you know, the soundtrack's good. You know, there's a lot to, to immediately like about it. And like we've said, it's got really interesting ideas. Now, mm. the, the things that people always pick up on are... There's a few scenes of scientists doing stupid things, <laughs> like things that you can't. They just kind of ruin suspension of disbelief for a lot of people. Oh, bringing the head back to life. Well, that's dumb for one. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't think they bring it back to life. Mm. So there's a scene in the film where they they find an engineer's decapitated head, 
They bring it back to their ship. They hook it up to some electrodes for no particular reason. I don't understand. They don't really explain why they do it. But I, I don't think they bring it back to life so much as I think they're just like prodding the nerve endings and things to see whether it will react. I, I don't know. I didn't take it to mean that the, the, the head is conscious at any point mm. during that. I thought it was just re- <clears throat> reacting to, you know, you know how like a body can like spasm after it's dead. Yeah. I thought it was kind of similar to that. I didn't think it was supposed to be alive. Oh, like a, um, like a death reflex. Like yeah. A, yeah. They're just like prodding the nerve endings to see whether it will react. It doesn't make any sense anyway. And it's ridiculous. And I, I don't yeah. understand the point in that whole scene. And also that bloke who they seem to have hired <laughs> purely because he has the, um, you know, the, what he the calls puppies, the dogs, the, the puppies. puppies. Yeah. He throws up in the air. And yeah. I've got to say, you didn't need to build another cryo tank for this guy. No. You just say, oh, you made those, can we, can we buy a few of those puppies? Please? Yeah, yeah. Well, and he would have gone, that's fine, I'll put them in a box. The other bizarre thing is, um, when they're, um, they've all been woken up and they get taken out of some shitty the American accent that disappears. No. No, okay. Who's I'll, American I'll, accent? Um, the guy that was in that film, uh, sorry, in that TV show, uh, Pete vs. Life. Yes, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has an American accent. The guy with the long hair. You know, there's that guy with the, the glasses and the shaved head. Yeah. Well, you talking guy... about Rafe. The um, Rafe, whatever yeah. his name is. The he guy... has an American accent at the beginning of the film yeah. that slowly just sort of disappears. Yeah, well, he is English, though. Yeah, yeah. He's well, no. In, um... but, but why was he an English guy acting as he's... if he had an American accent who then loses it when he gets... Because when he's getting killed, he's just like... Oh gosh! Crikey there! Oh, <laughs> my arm! Well, he's in uh, Shaun the Dead, isn't he? He's yeah, he's the, um, yeah. the the kind of you got red on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I thought we weren't allowed to make personal yeah. calls. Yeah, 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 mate, munted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got red on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was no, I was talking about the, they they drag them out into the you know with a few kind of um, fold foldable chairs. And plug them mm. down, mm. and then where they have that kind of hollow, um, hollow speech by Wayland and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. But then the first thing Vickers said, Vickers is Wayland's daughter. Uh, um, and she's kind of in charge of the mission. Fit as Charlene <laughs> Ferrand. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So, so fit. Anyway, and, um, yeah. she, uh, she kind of, the first thing she says to everyone is, I'm sure you've wondered why um, we're all here. Like, what? <laughs> you you you've, you've literally dragged people across across the galaxy and, like, these people just it's signed like a, up to it and they're like, like I'm sure you've wondered why we're here. Four, what? Four, what about if they would have, like, found out and then be like, oh, do you know what? I don't, I don't really want to do this anymore. Can I, can you <laughs> drop me back? Wasn't it like a, it, wasn't it, it, it's, it is something like an eight-year flight or... Yeah, that's what I mean. You wouldn't sign up to that unless you had very clear indication yeah, of what sorry, you needed you, to do when you got yeah, there. You want me to um, get into what? <laughs> yeah. But I don't even know why I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how good the pay is. If yeah. I'm not coming back, I'm not going to enjoy it. I don't so. want to get into the lime juice. You know, yeah. like, I don't want to get into that shit. So straight away, you know, the film has things like that. The, guy, the character you're talking about, the guy, I can't I can remember his surname. It's Rafe something. But that guy. Let's just say the guy, Finnemans. Dodgy Rafe, Rafe Finnemans. Finnemans. Rafe, Rafe Finnemans yeah. um, has this terrible scene where... Um, so they him and the geologist guy, the guy with the mohawk, get stranded um, in the caves mm. on the planet. Okay, mm. everyone else manages to get back to the ship. There's a big storm. They have to stay in the in the caves, sort of the tunnels and things, overnight. Anyway, whilst exploring the caves, they come across the black goo. Mm. When they come into contact with the black goo, um, it spouts something. Basically, this a creature comes out of the, the black goo. Mm. A creature that basically looks something like a cobra. Yeah. Now, we're it not is, stupid. It is one of the worms Yeah. that mm. they saw previously. When, they, when they, everyone um, is yes. in there, it's yeah. one of the worms. It's a hyper-evolved version of that worm. This is one of the theories, is that the black goo in the film, it's never explained in the film, but um, lots of people are kind of deduced from everything, that the black goo is this hyper-accelerant and um that basically kickstarts evolution in some way, right? Mm. So at the start of the film, we see the, the black goo kickstart life, but then in other times it will do other things. So to this worm, like you're saying, the worm hits it and it causes it to kind of um, 
turn into this, you know, much larger fanged creature that's capable of something a lot more dangerous, basically like an ultra-evolved version of what it was before. Mm. And anyway, this thing pops out of the ground, and this scientist, in inverted commas, um, rather than thinking, wow, let's leave that the fuck alone, <laughs> decides to think, Hey, that little guy, and he starts petting it on the he- trying to pet it on the head. And even when this thing starts basically like hissing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and like looking like a cobra ready to strike, like terrifying. If you saw something you did recognize like that, you would stay well away. But no, he decides to keep persisting, going, It's all right, it's all right. Fair enough. If it had evolved into like a fluffy bunny looking creature, yeah. I can forgive him for thinking, Do you know what? That yeah. looks so cute. I've just got to pet it. Something that looks like. Cousin it. Yeah. <laughs> this thing doesn't look cute. It looks horrific it and does. terrifying. The horrendous but nevertheless, penis monster with yeah, a vagina. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So he he tries to pet it. The thing grabs onto his arm, snaps his arm in a really quite horrific mm. scene. Snaps his arm completely in half. And, and then, then it burrows into his, his throat, suit. It? it burrows into his suit mm. and then I can't remember what happens to him after that. Um, so that's one of the times where people do stupid things. There's another time where Holloway, for some reason, they, they see on the readings that the air, there's an atmosphere and it should be technically breathable. He takes off his helmet. Now, to me, that seems completely dumb. Because even if it, your kind of thing says, you know what, it's breathable, don't take the chance. You've got a spacesuit, just leave it on. Not to mention, like, what if there's, I don't know, like some space mosquito that's got some deadly strain yeah. of, yeah. like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm dead. Yeah. Oh, I'm dead. You just yeah. don't know. It's just like you're dealing with the unknown. Yes. And then, uh, a little bit, I'm kind of going backwards here, but there's um, the bit before they leave the ship, um, the guy is, is like... Um, I think it's Shaw turns to one of the crew members who's carrying this big fuck-off gun, mm. which is very sensible, and says, what's that? And he says, big fuck-off gun. And then she says, well, you know, this is a science because you don't need guns. And he's like, mm-hmm, well, you're lost, kind of thing. <laughs> so I guess I'm not going then. Um, you know, it's just dumb. Just take it just in case, you know? Yeah. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, there is a big, big gun. There is a very good bit um, where um, another one with David and Charlie Holloway, mm-hmm. when they're going down the ramp for the first time wearing the suits, Holloway mm-hmm. turns to David and says, <laughs> yeah. why are you wearing the suit? You don't need it. Mm-hmm. And David effectively says something like, I'm designed to be as close to human as mm. possible. If I wasn't wearing a suit, you it wouldn't work. Yeah. And Holloway says, they're making you pretty close, huh? And David Ates says, not too close, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> that is brilliant, yeah. And I, I think that's that's a great one as well. That's mm. a proper David put-down. I think that's the sort of the first put-down that David's, David gets in and probably why Holloway is such a dick to him later with the whole, it's a good thing you can't get disappointed. I Maybe. Think that sort of starts the animosity a bit there with David saying, well, I hope not too close. Kind of insinuating, well, I hope I'm not like you. Yeah. Because you're a bit of a boring twat. Well, this is with the a funny... stupid haircut <laughs> and you should just fuck off back to Earth. <laughs> and not be Tom Hardy on Earth. And not be, not be, in inverted commas, Tom Hardy-esque. Yeah. But he, um... <clears throat> You but, ponce. You utter ponce. <laughs> it's well, a funny I'm sort of revol- role reversal. You are cuntiologist. It's a funny role reversal with David where he almost looks down on humans. Even though he comes from humans, he, he kind of almost has a bit of a god complex himself. Where... Did you get that vibe? Where yeah, he, sort of, he, he is better than yeah. He, he is feels superior. Yeah, he is better. He's he's faster. He's stronger. Mm. He's um, he's longer living than them. Mm. He can't tire. Although actually, I did read a, a book a long time ago called the Aliens Colonial Marines Technical Manual. Yeah, which um, is probably one real page turner. Real <laughs> real page turner. Like lick, lick your finger and you're gonna you know just flick away. Um, and uh, it says that synthetics, while they'll last longer than humans and they're able to do more under stress and blah, 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 um, they are more fragile mm-hmm. than humans because, of course, they're not, um, you know, muscles and skeleton and, like, proper bone. They're kind of a sort of ceramic carbide skeleton being held up by kind of liquid-filled bladders and things like that. Right. Like, um, have you ever watched Futurama? A bit like Kiff. <laughs> who is basically liquid-filled bladders holding up his body. That's why they call him Squishy Alien, yeah. you know, the whole time. Um, 
But I, I think intellectually he sees himself as their superior. Yeah. yeah. Because he's, because he's, you know, just the, the interactions he have with them, saying things like, can you imagine how disappointing it would be mm. for you to hear the same thing from your creator, even though it's written down in a script. Mm. And, you know, Michael Fassbender is just saying it because it's written down. The point is that, that people in TV shows and stuff like that always sound more intellectual mm. than, than Mars. Like, you, you watch The West Wing, where on earth have these people come from? Where the fuck have these people learned to have conversations without ever stopping to go, um, or wipe their nose, or breathe in, or moisten their mouths, or something like that, or, or kind of gone, yeah, but it was like that time I was with Phil. Oh, no, no, not Phil. Um, you know, Dave. They always say the right thing first. They always have very fast conversations. Mm. But I think David comes across as, as just intelligent. He's a, he's an android. He's not gonna make mistakes like humans do. He's not gonna pause for breath. He's not going to, he's not going to catch a breath or, or, you know, accidentally swallow a bit of his own saliva the wrong way and kind of go, <laughs> well, it's a funny thing you, <coughs> I'm sorry, I forgot what I was talking about. You know, he's, he's just, he's just saying stuff. He is, he is smarter than us. He knows that the, the, the thing that is going to antagonize Holloway the most, is by saying something like that to him. Do you think he's basically using the whole crew? Do you think that's... Like I said, he is, he's programmed by Wayland mm. to further Wayland's agenda, but at the same time he, he is has developing his own. his own sentience and has his own agenda. I think he, I think he Wayland, and uh, Vickers are all using the crew. She even uses the, the captain of the crew for sex, which is alluded to. That's a weird scene. Yeah. He That's asks her directly, are you a robot? And she just scoffs at him and says, meet me in my yeah, meet in my 10 office. minutes. Yeah. You know, I, and I think, yeah, I think they are using them. And actually, um, you know, there is that point where Vickers makes, uh, makes a comment along the lines of, well, my company invested a trillion dollars in this expedition. So if you'd managed to raise all the money, then we'd be coming along for the ride and doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. But because it's my money, you're an employee of mine. Mm. So you do what I want mm. you to do. You go in there, you find out if there are any of these engineers left, and if there are, we'll <laughs> resurrect Walt Disney out of his cryogenic capsule, <laughs> and he can come in and see if he can get a life extension that he's been looking for. <laughs> yeah, I think they're all using them. Yeah, yeah. I think they are all. Uh, unfortunately, they're the ones that found it. Wayland jumped on it. He funded it because he saw a, a selfish goal. Yeah. But I think David, because he's the innocent kind of, uh, you know, childlike curiosity. Uh, I think he he drives the film in the direction and the plot of you know he drives mm. the expedition in the direction it goes. And I think he begins to see Wayland's. I think he begins to see Wayland's goals as stupid, as mm. pointless. Because, of course, all evidence points to the engineers having created humans and seeing them as a failed experiment. Mm. Why on earth are they going to want to let... Why on earth they want to want to save someone like you? Mm. You know, the very most we can hope to get out of this now is maybe finding out more about the engineers. That's it. Nothing mm. else is going to happen. Yeah. All we've done is prove that there is life other than us. In a small way, um, David kind of gets his own chance to create life by, or to be a creator, by spiking uh, Holloway's drink mm. yeah. with the black goo. Yeah. Um, which, you know, he had, it makes no kind of um, hesitation in doing. He puts this uh, hyper-evolutionary mm. accelerant into his drink just to see what would happen. And yeah. effectively, he, he kick-starts all the, um, the kind of shit going down that occurs um, from that point onwards. Because... Including when Fifield smashes into the uh, hangar with his massive inflated head, mm. gets burnt and sort of like pretzeled, yeah. and then still comes back to life and starts smashing the place up again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to trivialise no, yeah, it, yeah. but yeah, you know what I mean. He does. He sets it all in in play. Mm -hmm. See, the thing we've just seen again <clears throat> that the um, there was a picture of the uh, constellation that appears in all the pictures. Now, in the previous podcast, I made a comment 
about um, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda looking yeah. at a star map, mm. which had no writing on it or anything, but yet that is their sort of primary navigation tool, and they seem to know where they're going all the time. And even in The Force Awakens, they have that star map that leads them to Luke Skywalker. There's no writing on it. Mm. There's no you are here. Mm. There's no make a jump to that bit, then make a jump to the next bit, and you'll get there eventually. Prometheus is it starts from the same convoluted thing. There is a picture of some circles mm. that look that they say is a constellation. Now look, you look up into the sky in any yeah. quadrant, I guarantee you you'll find a cluster of stars that looks like excuse me, that looks like that. Yeah. I think that is the biggest chocolate flavoured m- MacGuffin that we have in this whole film, is that they are following a collection of circles that in theory could look like any collection of circles. Yeah. They've effectively what they've done is they've launched this trillion dollar um exodus out of the out of our solar system. There, see inflated head. Yeah. Um of our solar system in towards what they hope is gonna be the constellation that they've been seeing on cave paintings. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is I've just thought, why would the constellation point to L V two two three? Yes. That is what the, well, exactly my point. reason would there be for that? If that was where they made the black goo, maybe the engineers at the point before they hated us were going. Maybe it's not for us. This maybe. was your. This is where you came from. And maybe it was meant to be humbling to humans. Maybe, maybe. it was meant to be a. We made you. Well, maybe it wasn't. We made even, you over there. Maybe it wasn't even meant for humans to understand. Maybe they didn't think human beings would get that far. That they'd be able to fathom, like, or to be able to at least leave the planet. <laughs> because I'm just thinking, like, it's just such a why that planet? Because uh, well, it's not it's not the engineer's home planet. If it's just a military installation, yeah. maybe it was just almost like a um, like a, a like a maker stamp or something to say. You know, this batch came from here. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> if a bunch of other engineers from like whatever other side yeah. of the galaxy they were in came along, they could have gone to that cave and been like, oh, oh, this, Baz, is, this, this is Baz. Ted. Yeah, yeah, Ted. Yeah, Ted, 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 Ted you can it? tell. Yeah. You can tell. Look at these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Classic, Ted always draws that shit Ted. on the <laughs> That guy. That guy. Ugh. Making humans. So, and, and if you go to the, the point that maybe they weren't win, well, the humans in it aren't supposed to be able to leave the planet. You can go back to the fact that they were sending a ship over here to destroy us. Maybe there's like a, a hard reset every so often when we turn into pricks. <laughs> yeah. So it's um, or, or when people turn into pricks and then they reset life. So well, they, they sort of touched on that with the alien versus predator storyline. Okay. With you remember they were they were saying that the um, that the pyramid they find under the ice. Oh yeah, yeah. has a lot of hallmarks of certain cultures that have disappeared throughout human history. Yeah. And they say that it's the predator's self-destruct device okay. that has wiped out these civilizations. When when the alien um threat after they launched after they released them all from the inside of those pyramids mm. became too much and they had to use their nuclear risk things. Yeah, yeah. Um is that's what wiped out these civilizations. Mm. Well potentially you could sort of go, well maybe that Maybe that's what the engineers were doing. Maybe mm. the engineers were wiping out these civilizations, mm. going, "Well, the Mayans were shit, and their calendars are a bunch of bollocks." You know, like, let's get rid of them. You know, mm. these guys are just mm. wank. Let's just like dro- drop an egg of this black liquid stuff down there and just get rid of them. You know, get Sheila from Requisitions to get you a pod, <laughs> and we'll 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 go and just get it out. You know, like the, the, the point <laughs> is though that it comes back to that scene. I guess like why did we? Why did you? Um, they create us because they could. Mm. You know, we're not special. If if we step out of line, they're just like right, done. So the implication though is that is that if you know, is the way they created us the way they do it on every planet? Mm. You know, do they? Is it a designated engineer goes off there with his little cup of black liquid and disintegrates himself? Because surely, if that was the case, then they would create humans. But. Mm. But maybe, or maybe it's just humanoid life. It could be that um, he was somewhat of a rogue engineer. Where have all the other species of animals come from? Like the dinosaurs. Basically, I think the idea is like that. um, 
bit of water that he kind of sunk into and created life. I guess that's like primordial soup mm. where it, all life is created and eventually human beings are, are born of it. We're all basically from the same origins, aren't we? Everything living on Earth. Even giraffes. That's science. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> no, science no, I guess so. We've all got like lungs and vertebrae and, you know, we're not that dissimilar, really, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, well... <laughs> You're stand, me a, stand me and a giraffe next to each other. And, yeah. uh, but if you look at the skele- skeletons, well, I, mean, I can't the, tell which one's which. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, most kind of mammals and things are all pretty similar, really. Like in terms of the way we function, we have lungs and hearts, and oh, blah blah. blah. I don't want to get yeah. like, too deep into that kind of stuff. But then my point was that maybe this engineer was like a rogue engineer because then that would tie in with the name again, Prometheus, because Prometheus was just like a one-off, you know. He created life and um, the idea is that he, he was kind of punished by the other gods not for creating life, but when he gave them fire. So when he gave them like a, the ability to create fire was something that was supposed to be kind of um, that only gods could do. And Prometheus gave mankind the ability to do that. And um, I think the story was that he was tied to a rock and... Um, His he, liver was endlessly pecked out by the yeah, same bird over and over. Exactly, which some people have punishment. drawn. They're kind of, you know, having your um, insides bust open is kind of a throwback to Alien. And the, um, you know, the face yes. <clears throat> Busting out. Happy days. Yeah. Mm. Noodles will never be the same <laughs> again, will they? But I think the... Uh, Prometheus is a film that people will love to shit on because it has those flaws. It has the the kind of awkward scenes. It has some crappy characters. It has some silly moments like the bit we haven't even mentioned where Vickers can't run sideways to escape the big rolling <laughs> thing. You know, there are some dumb things about it, but overall it's a very intelligent film that comes up with some great ideas. It's got some fantastic scenes in it. Like we said, it looks great, sounds great, paced well, all this stuff. It's got David, which is like enough for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a, a grossly underrated film. I do as well. It is. But it could fall into the same category as The Force Awakens, being one of the best, most disappointing <laughs> films ever. Yeah. Um, mainly because I came out of the cinema asking my mate, who I've watched endless times, the Alien films and the Predator films over and over and over again, and talking about it in extreme geeky detail and kind of coming out going, well, I don't really understand a lot of what was no, going on in that. Of course that. not. But I said to him, <clears throat> it was nice to see that we now have committed in canon, you know, whatever it is, the, the canon of this of this universe, that this race is the one we saw in that ship with the eggs. Which got me thinking, maybe, right, just maybe, excuse me, the xenomorphs are a result of experiments they were doing somewhere else with the black liquid. Mm -hmm. Because obviously we see this deacon creature coming from the inside of the uh, engineer. Yeah, admittedly, it's different than the xenomorph, but it's got that big sort of pointy head, and yes, it's yeah. kind of they're they're a kind of you it's know it's a bit there. evocative. It's almost there. Mm. Um, there's part of me that kind of goes, maybe this is you know they experimented on their own kind, and they realised that if they experimented on their own kind with these things, they'd get those trilobite things, mm. which would impregnate, you know, through the face, and then these things would burst out of people. Maybe the xenomorphs are a hyper-accelerated version of the results of those experiments, and they've kind of gone, well, these are these are really effective, you know, weapons of mass destruction. Mm. If we ever want to, if mm. we ever want to, you know, completely erase all life from a planet, you just have to drop a, mm. a shit ton of these eggs on it, and mm. the resulting creatures will render that planet completely inhospitable. Mm. You know, and they're not in- clever enough to build. Um, they're not clever enough to build, um, you know, ships and stuff like that. So that's it. That just wastes that planet. We don't even have to think about it again. We're, ne- we're never going to go back there. No. And so that ship was carrying, you know, I think the ship we see on LB426 is a ship carrying either 
you know, a bunch of these things because it's like, right, well, these are this is the result of the experiment. Let's take them, you know, I'm taking them somewhere or I'm going to erase all life on a planet somewhere. You know, I'm just a, it's just, I'm just a bomber on a trip to, mm. to do whatever I'm doing. I think for me, that was one of the best bits about it. Cause I was just like, well, that finally lets you know that, that there was, there was a reason that, you know, that that is, that class of ship is obviously a bomber, a, a delivery, a payload yeah. delivery mechanism of some description, mm. or it's Which just a transporter. Which explains why it's basically only got mm-hmm. one crew member. Yeah. Mm. Because he's just got to go and deliver the payload and then... And then go back go back home. Yeah. And it was nice to see, finally, oh, what we saw wasn't a trunk. It was a it was a breathing pipe mm. going up into his yeah, biosphere. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, people thought they were like elephant people, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, right, cool. It's, you know, that's what it is. It's not it's not fossilised to its chair. It's actually part of the chair. He becomes, yeah. through his biosuit, part of the ship. And, and you know, it's it, it was cool. I was just like, oh, great. You know, that's really cool to see that. Well... The other point is that it's not over because mm. Mm. we're definitely getting one more film, and I think there's supposed to, is there supposed to be three. Yeah, it's, it's, and and he's dropped Prometheus now, as the he? Prometheus yeah. name is gone, and now it's Alien Covenant, was it? Yes, it's, yes, it's, yeah. Which, if you ask me, was probably the wrong way to go. I think to disavow Prometheus yeah. as part of it was like because it it must deal with Shaw and David. Because they were off to mm-hmm. see the engineer homeworld. Yep. You know, on their little love train. Yeah. Love train. <laughs> you know, they were off. <laughs> David's head. <laughs> yeah, the, the adventures of Shaw and David's head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're off to see the galaxy. <laughs> and who knows what hijinks they're going to get into. Yeah. You know, it's it's a mystery, really. But like I say, <clears throat> it isn't over. It, we're going to see more. Mm. And I sincerely hope that they carry on from what we've seen. Mm. Because... To introduce a bunch more characters after this, which is inevitably what's going to happen, and we're not going to like it anyway, um, I think is going to is going to ruin it a bit. The whole point is that we're, that is that at the time this film Prometheus was set was so far into the future that, well, it was far enough into the future that a company had perfected the means to get a bunch of people that far away from Earth, mm-hmm. but. It was kind of a one-off because it was like the richest company on earth, and they were the only ones that could really do it. Yeah, and had the balls to do it. So you kind of think, is any is anyone else going to be? Uh, you know, what, are they going to have a bunch of people even further into the future that they're going to have going back to? So I don't know. Is it no, going to follow that comic book you've got? No, definitely not. Because no? that doesn't make sense with the um. <sighs> Well, I don't want to spoil it because I'm going to lend it to you. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm pretty sure that Tom's talking about a um, graphic novel I picked up earlier this week, which is um, called Prometheus, Fire and Stone. And I'm not sure how canon it is, but I'm guessing not very, because it is set... <laughs> 200 years after the events that we saw on LV-223, or somewhere there, about 150 years, maybe. And it's basically, it kind of quickly descends into a typical alien aliens graphic novel, so I, I wouldn't pay too much attention to, to what happens in it. <laughs> yeah, shame. Mm. Would have been nice to have a read of something that potentially... Yeah, explained a bit more, light. but no, this isn't it, unfortunately. No. But there are so many well, good <laughs> um, essays and mm. um, uh, breakdowns of the film that people have done, and lots of people have different theories, but lots of people talk about the same kind of things we've been talking about today and reiterate the same points. And, you know, this is, to be honest, this is where I've kind of got most of my opinions from reading a lot of these. Mm. You know, coming out of the cinema, I enjoyed the film, but, you know, did I understand it on all these kind of different crazy layers and levels not really no you pick up the odd little thing here or there but then um when you go away and you read other people's thoughts and you start to collate them and people start to tell you about the kind of greek mythology that all this ties in with and interesting ideas like that and it all starts to piece together and make sense and, and for me it's certainly like massively helped in my appreciation of the film going and reading like um very in-depth breakdowns potentially that is maybe one of the causes of its lack of popularity oh yeah for sure because actually an awful lot of the stuff that you you could do with knowing Mm -hmm. 
about the film and what's going to happen, you you won't you won't find out in the film. It, no. it, it, it's one of those films that kind of snubs its nose at you and kind of goes, "You can watch me, you might enjoy me, but you will get a lot more out of me if you go and read all this stuff over here." It actually gives you a reading list, you know, and sort of goes, "If you read this, you can understand a bit more about what happens in this mm. scene." You know, it's kind of a bit cheeky. It's a bit. It's a bit kind of. Yeah. You take from this what you want. All right. Films, but if you did all this reading, yeah, you totally understand. Well, maybe this is on. part of the problem: is that films like that need to work on two levels. They yeah. need to be an entertaining film with the added depth or the layers of depth that you can then go away and talk for you know, yeah, years and years about. Like the aliens films are that. Mm. Like Alien, you can find like crazy long um, essays on the original Alien talking about all the kind of Freudian stuff and um, well, all kinds of things really. And but I guess the point is that Alien just works on a very basic level of it. it's just a great film from start to finish. And Prometheus yeah. doesn't quite have that; doesn't no. quite stand on its own two feet like that. No. Well, Alien stands on its own two feet as basically a haunted house film. Mm. It's essentially the same. Film, yeah. yeah, it's essentially the same premise as a haunted house film. You've got something in this house that's terrifying, mm. um, and one by one, people are going to die. Until someone figures out how to solve the problem, yeah. but that doesn't actually solve the whole problem in the mm. end, as it turns out. No, but ultimately, I'd rather have more films like Prometheus, where someone has tried, but you know, not hundred percent succeeded in trying to make something that's got intelligence, got depth, mm. got stuff to talk about, got stuff to overanalyze, mm. yeah. rather than just another popcorn munching. Summer blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, the character David makes the whole film pretty much. Yeah. And it's and it's such and that's nearly everything that you read, nearly everything that you can look into will focus on him. Mm. Because he is the, the the central figure and he's so hard to read just by watching the film. Mm. Um and very well acted obviously by Fassbender. He's a great actor, isn't he? Mark Fassbender, yes. definitely. Yeah. I can't actually remember a film I've seen him in where I've kind of, I haven't thought he either saved it. Mm. Even um, Frank, if you've seen the film Frank. <clears throat> that's no. meant to be amazing. I haven't watched that. That's it's, meant to be, yeah. it's, I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. He, he, you don't see him. But he, he's got his, he's got a big uh, papier-mâché head mm. over his head. Oh, like um, Frank Seibold. Yeah. Yes. And even that doesn't stop him from acting better than a lot of other actors, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, he's good. And he's really hunky as well. There's um, a, um, a, f- a term that I think it was Empire came up with. And I can't remember what the exact percentage is, but uh, there, were, there was a, an article on um, Nathan Fillion. Mm. Uh, someone who I love, a huge Firefly fan. <laughs> Um, but he's been in a lot of bad films as well. Mm. And what they said is, those films are bad, except for Nathan Fillion's in it. And they go, and it was something along the lines of, I think it's like 27% or 23% or something like that. Nathan Fillion makes films 23% better. But just by being in the film, he, he makes the film watchable to a certain extent. And I think Fassbender is probably in the same category as that. He makes films better just by being, and he could be in a complete cowpat of a film. And as it turns out, he seems to have a very good uh, agent um, in the terms of the roles he's playing. But he he, t- yeah. he he can he he makes bad films better, and and even I think even Prometheus's biggest detractors would say that Fassbender puts in a hell of a performance in that. Yeah, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about yeah. David. It's always about. The script. It's just for some people that's too much. Pushes it over the edge and say ruined, terrible film. Mm. Can't watch it. For other people they can look past it and appreciate yeah. the good things about it. Well, I, I think the thing is, if you're an Alien fan, there's going to be things in it that you're going to enjoy. Mm. Yeah, I think there's going to be things that you're going to enjoy from the outset. If you're like me, you'll be obsessed with the idea of synthetic humans and mm. Ash remains a a personal favourite. 
mm. character of mine. Bishop is is great because he's, um, you know, because he's a bit of a hero. But mm. Ash is brilliant because of the idea that no one knows he's a synthetic until the point where he finally decides to. Well, well, <clears throat> as we find out in the next film. The 128 always were a bit twitchy. That can never happen now with our behaviour. Yeah. You know, it turns out that actually he's a, a sort of a prototype model, an android sleeper agent inserted onto the ship as a human, uh, you know, to pose as a human mm. as much as he can. And actually, once you've seen the film once and you watch it again, the original Alien this is, um, you see a lot more in Ian Holmes' performance that gives you this, like, oh my God, you can just see this android in its head is thinking... Everyone else is stamping their feet and rubbing their hands together because they're cold. I'm going to do it too. And you can see the sort of sideways <laughs> looks. Like that moment where he walks into the science blister when they all disappear off to go and see the derelict. Mm. He walks in and he kind of looks sort of shiftily to one side and then kind of like, you know, runs on the spot and rubs his hands together and then kind of looks around and no one's kind of spotted him and <laughs> blows into his hands <laughs> and then sits down. The first time you watch it through, you think, oh, he's cold, but I don't know why he's being so shifty. But the second time you watch around, you go, he's not cold. He's, he's pretending. Mimicking, yeah. He's, he's mimicking. He's, he's trying to show himself to be, you know, something more than he is. And even that moment where Kane is eating after he comes to, um, you know, Ash is sort of eating dinner and talking to someone, and then you just as it, the camera pans away from him to Kane, you see that little glance mm. across the table just at Kane just for a moment and the first time round I, I mean I didn't notice it I, I, I literally just saw the camera was panning across the other characters and kind of settled on Kane but the second time I watched the film I saw that glance I mean now we're talking about you know having seen the film sort of you know 50, 60, 70 maybe 80 times I mean I so many times I've watched that film like, I used to stay over at my mate's house like almost every weekend and Alien would usually be on the list of films that we'd watch that night mm. like, we're going to watch Alien you know, and um, <clears throat> I like uh, about Ash is that he also his solutions to the problems that they encounter are always just enough to look like they're going to be effective, but never enough <laughs> to actually be effective, which is a clever sort of way of doing things from the Android's point of view, because it's like, well, I've created a motion detector that works on, you know, micro changes in air density and things like that. It's like, well, that's not really that helpful, but I guess it's kind of helpful. Mm. It gives people just enough hope to keep trying to look for the alien so it will kill them. Because, <laughs> of course, his, you know, priority one, bring back life form, all other priorities are rescinded, you know, and that, that's what he's trying to do. The flame, uh, the flamethrower units are effective, but, of course, Ash makes sure that they don't become effective because of all the, you know, other stuff he does. <laughs> that says a lot about Ridley Scott's attention to detail. Like the bits where you know the aliens in the room, the lunges out, yeah, and you can see it in there. Like when and it's little things like they didn't just a lesser director would have just said, right, well, this is gonna be a jump scare, mm. but it's so much more than that because it's there, you know, it's there, and when you look yeah. for it, you can see it. Mm. Yeah, because I think the first time you see it, it looks like a bit of pipe. Yeah, isn't it? but mm. but then you you watch it and you go, oh my god, that's yeah, I can see its hand. Any other director you would just have it. So this bit, he's just going to jump out. Mm. Yeah, attention to detail is is key, and I think that Prometheus will play a far bigger role in the in the universe in terms of when it all kind of when all the cards are on the table. I agree. I agree <clears> with <throat> you. I agree soundly. <laughs> <laughs> so, are we done with Prometheus now? Anything anyone else wants to add? This is this is so your we're, thing. We're, see, we're at a loss at the moment because obviously I think we could talk far longer about this, but of course it's it's coming up to midnight. We decided to <laughs> we started recording this <laughs> quite late. So yeah, so it might be quite low quality. <laughs> low quality. Um, that's that's an hour, an hour's worth of Prometheus. I think there's plenty more we can say about this, but I think I think I just wanted to touch on Prometheus because it's something. When we first started this podcast, Dan's first introduction on the pilot was that we were three guys who used to be in a band together and we used to spend most of our time talking about stuff. Sean got married recently and I remember that the last bar we visited, we ended up having a conversation outside on your stag do 
um, about Prometheus, and we were talking about it before we, we went back to the hotel and drank all that whiskey and played Cards Against Humanity until, <laughs> yeah. like, Kraken. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what I kind of wanted to go, is that it was something that, it was a subject that was obviously quite dear to us, because we always mm. ended up talking about it, and mm. I just wanted to kind of, you know, start the ball rolling. So I think we'll hit on it again, and I think when the, next, when the next film comes out... yeah. We'll have a lot more context for Prometheus, and I think actually Prometheus might be better served by having some more context. Yes, it might change everything. It might change oh, everything. Yeah. Now, who knows what kind of conversations we might be having in? Well, is it this year it comes out, or is it next? It's year? Next year, two thousand seventeen. Right, it was brought forward slightly. So, um, yeah, yes. So we might have some good conversations coming mm. in the next year. I mean, obviously, the new Star Wars film is next year mm. as well. So mm. let's wrap up Prometheus here, then, if that's cool. Mm. And we'll get back into it some other point. Nice. Cool. So thanks for listening again. And we'll be back in a couple of days. Bye. Bye. Love you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I should say bye, I suppose. Bye. <laughs>